busted. say to those of you who weren't here last week that uh, I want you to catch up and I want you to pick up the uh, CD or DVD or go online and, and catch up with us because last week we started a series called Empowered which is very pivotal, uh, pivotal to the next year at, at the church at Battle Creek and uh, it's tied to everything we do here at the church at Battle Creek. It's tied to our mission statement. It's tied to our advanced discipleship process. And uh, so let's begin this morning by going back to that again. And let's say the mission statement together. We'll throw it on the screen uh, for those of you who are new uh, or remedial. And uh, let's, let's, so let's say this together, okay, if you would. Uh, glorifying God by helping all people of all ages all the time advance in their journey with Christ. Now, a couple of things about that statement because it's all about our DNA here. And eight years ago when we started the church at Battle Creek, we wanted to build a church uh, that unchurched people enjoyed coming to. And I know there's some problems with that statement because once unchurched people enjoy coming, they're not unchurched anymore. And I understand that. But, but you get what we were saying and what we wanted uh, to happen. There are plenty of churches in Tulsa uh, but still the fact remains that 800,000 people in our metropolitan area don't go to church anywhere. And so we started asking them, why not? And uh, one of the answers we got more than most of the other answers was uh, because the church is for perfect people. And if I'm not uh, perfect, why do I want to spend my life hanging out with people who are pretending that they are? And so uh, we set out and we crafted a statement and we said, let's be the perfect place for imperfect people because we all are. And that's who we are. But since we're imperfect, it doesn't mean, though, that we give up, right, or that we give into that. We have to keep going and moving, and there is a process to our faith, not a destination here on earth, but a process and a journey. And we're called to advance in that journey. And so we took the word advance and made sure that we wanted to put it in our, our mission statement, and we used it as an acrostic to show uh, this linear, sequential uh, process that we want to expose our people to, environments that we want to expose our people to, to help them grow and advance in their journey with Christ. Let me just repeat that for you again this morning. A is a tent, something we do. Sunday morning, uh, community group, some event that we put on. D is dinner with the pastor. This past week, uh, we had a dinner with a pastor. We had two give their life to Christ, five say they're going to follow the Lord in believer's baptism, and 90 people joined the Church of Battle Creek at, at, on Wednesday night at a dinner, which is pretty awesome, right, and, and exciting. Uh, so A is a 10, D is dinner, V is the vision class, which we're doing today. Uh, we do it once a month, and they're doing it today. Now, those three letters, ADV, are the connect piece of our advanced uh, process. The rest of it is our discipleship track. Abide, nucleus, charge, and then empowered. 
And what we're talking about in this series is empowered. And and that's how we do uh, what we do around here with this goal in mind that we want everyone to live an empowered life because everyone can live an empowered life. Every believer in Christ can be empowered to live the life that God has destined for you to live. Everyone, every believer can look around at other believers and go, I can do that. And I can live life like that uh, because they're seeing people around them live uh, an empowered life. And that's the type of culture that we're trying to create around here. And that's the type of atmosphere where people stand up and act rather than waiting on an invitation uh, to, to be involved with something, to be empowered daily to do what you're good at and, and what God gave you uh, to do. But what we do for God, and I want you to hear this today, what we do for God is inherently tied to our being. It is tied to who God made us to be. And in our culture today, uh, it's dangerous, but in our culture today, we often find our identity uh, based on what we do. And I can be guilty of this just like you can be guilty of this, that when you meet people, I mean, one of the natural questions to ask in our culture is, what do you do? Right, and, and you hear, I'm a, well, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a plumber, I'm a, 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 a police officer, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a. Rarely do you hear people say, well, I'm a believer in, in, in Jesus Christ, or I'm a father, or I'm a brother, or I'm a sister, or I'm a mother. But because we define what we do in our culture by, or we define who we are in our culture by what we do, and that can be disastrous, quite honestly. Uh, in fact, I just want to say to you that our identity is not determined. By our behavior. Our identity is determined by our birth. This is a spiritual truth that runs through the grace message in, in Scripture. That, that uh, I could get up on this table and act like a monkey. Some of you would love to see that, right? It doesn't make me a monkey. Why? Because I wasn't born a monkey. This last week at, at our football practice uh, uh, for my fourth grader, one of the dads uh, pulled up and, uh, and said, I need to speak to you. He hadn't even got out of his car. He said, I need to speak to you. And, I, and so I walked over to his car, and the first sentence out of his mouth was, I think I'm ready to accept Christ. That's a pretty good setup, right? And uh, which is exactly what you pray happens to you in life. And so I stood on the driveway. He stood and he sat in his car and we had this conversation. And part of the discussion was, hey, I, I lived this path and I've not been perfect on the path. And, and it's a hang up for me that I, I don't, I'm not sure I'm worthy to come to Christ. I'm not sure that, uh, that, that I can or I'm, I'm capable or adequate to come to Christ. And, and the discussion that I had with him is this very discussion I'm saying to you today, that our birth determines our identity. And when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you have what's called a new birth. You are born again. That's why the Bible uses that phrase. We are born again. And so now our identity is in Christ. Why? Because our birth determines our identity. And so what Jesus calls you when you're born again is righteous and holy and justified. And and so that's who we are. You say, well, my life doesn't live uh, always righteous. I know that. Because you act in a way that is not uh, consistent with who you are, just like I do. And that's why Paul said in Philippians, you are to work out your salvation. That what is done in the inside of you is done on the inside. In your spirit, man, that's who you really are, right? That's the part of you that's going to live on forever and ever and ever. That's who you really are. What's done in there, now we work it out into our lifestyle. We work it out into our actions. We work it out into our our thoughts. And and, and the, the way that we live our lives, we work that out. 
what God did and deposited in us, we work it out. But, but this whole idea of I'm defined by what I do can be very, very, very uh, dangerous and quite honestly disastrous uh, way to define ourselves. When you define yourself by work, and work can be very, very hard, right? I don't have to tell you that for you to know that. Uh, in fact, the average, I just read this last week, the average college graduate who, who gets out of college with a degree, today in our country, there is an 18-month average time span before they are plugged into a career in their field. 18 months now college graduates are waiting before they can find a spot in the workplace for what they are trained and uh, educated to do now. Listen to this stat. 31% of college-educated adults in America work 50-plus hours a week, yet they don't get 50 hours of sleep. Uh, 1.7 million people in America consider their work hours extreme thanks to BlackBerry's corporate expectations and their own type A personalities. Work is hard and it takes a lot out of you. Listen to these stats. 70% of Americans say their job undermines their health. 70% of American workers say that, that their job is undermining their health. Lack of exercise, bad diet, bad or stress. 46% say their jobs get in the way of their relationships. And 50% say their jobs get in the way of their sex life, which is a problem, right? That's a big, big problem. In the mid-60s, uh, we thought that, I wasn't alive in the mid-60s, but this is what the people in the mid-60s thought, that technological advancements would make life easier. I mean, that was the, where futurists were thinking and saying. In fact, in 1967, the Time Magazine article, cover page article, said that by the year 2000, we would have 13 weeks of vacation. How awesome would that be, right? I think I'll take the quarter off. That's what they thought. Why? Because technology is advancing to the point that, that we could go there and we would have 13 weeks off and then we would enjoy a four-day work week, which is today what we call part-time. There's been a substantial work uh, increase in, in work hours over the last 25 years due to increased technology and due to intense competitive work environments. There's no wonder that 84% of Americans report they hate their job. 84% of Americans are saying they hate their job. Occasionally I'll meet people and they find out I'm a pastor and, and they will say, man, I wish I could be a pastor. Just play golf, you know, read the Bible. <laughs> Work one day a week, right? I mean, you know. But usually what those people are saying is, listen, what they're saying is, I would love to be around Christians all the time. And I'm tired about, of, of, of these lost people and how they act and how they behave. I just want to be around Christians all the time. And I'm just saying to you, it ain't any better. <laughs> And, and, and the truth is work is work, and, and hard work is hard work. And if you are successful, you worked hard, and you get tired. Uh, I mean, I, there's all stages of, of life, right? I mean, we work all these jobs. I've worked lots and lots of jobs in, in my life. Well, I, one, one year uh, in college, I roofed houses for a living, and, and that was disastrous. 
I hated the job. The, it was Louisiana. And, and so you think the summer was hot? It's every summer in Louisiana. It was like you went to Africa. And, 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 and just in case you can't get hot enough, get on a roof with black tar paper on it. The first day I went to work, I wore Keds. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Those boat shoe things that metrosexuals wore in the, in the 80s. And the shoes melted. I'm not kidding you. The whole rubber so melted. It's 115 degrees. I said probably 150, 160, 170 degrees on that roof. And and, uh, when I got home that day and got the shoes off, I had two blisters in the shape of feet. (laughs) It was extremely painful. And this bone, I don't know what this bone is called right here on your shoulder, but mine sticks up high. And, and, and carrying those bundles of shingles up and down that ladder, my, both shoulders were just completely raw from that asphalt. And your fingers from that, whatever that sand stuff is on the asphalt, just your fingers were blistered and bloody and you should wear gloves. And, 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 and they, it was a depressing environment. They listened to country music, <laughs> which is incredibly depressing. Gotten better over the last few years. But, but the I can remember thinking, i got to take a nap after my job, not because I'm tired, because I'm depressed. And never one time in that job did I feel like, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. But you know what? It was a job. And I needed a job. And, and, and life is hard, and, and work is hard, and it doesn't matter what the job is. All of us want a job that's fulfilling, right? And all of us want a boss who, who is a good boss. But the truth of the matter is this. We can all work for God no matter who signs our paycheck. We can all work for God regardless of who it is that signs our paycheck. If you are a believer, you can work for God day in and day out. Empowered means, and I want you to write this down, empowered means that no matter your occupation, you're employed by God. No matter what your occupation is, you are employed by God Almighty. And and God wants to employ you every single day of your life, right where you work, and it's in the workplace that you find your mission field. So let's look today at how God views work, how he views what we do day in and day out. Because if if so many people, 84%, hate their jobs, what is God's opinion on job? And what is God's opinion on work? And I want to give you three statements uh, about work that summarize my opinion of how God views work. Statement number one, God designed me to work. He designed me to work. Uh, It is the natural exercise. It is the natural function of a man. Why? We were created to work. The first thing that God did with Adam was put him to work. Listen to what he says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to watch over it. In other words, we were made to work. We were created to use our hands. We were created to use our brains to to labor. And God intends for each of us to be prosperous and successful. That's true. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 9 and verse 13. What do people really get for all of their hard work? And he comes back and answers it. People should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for they are gifts from God. God. In other words, work is a gift from God. Hard work is a gift from God. Work that is tough to do is a gift from God. And if your response to that statement is a cringe, then you're probably in the wrong job as a believer. If you're stuck in a dead-end job where you don't feel fulfilled, then you probably need to make some changes in your life. And and, and, now, I just want to 
parentheses that by saying, it is not the will of God for you to go on a permanent vacation. And if you are sitting in your parents' playroom with Cheeto dust all over your T-shirt because you won't go get a job, that's not God's will. I can say that with complete confidence. But let me say this to those of you who've been laid off, those of you who cannot find work, those of you who've been looking and the job market is tough, 9% of Americans today cannot find a job. They're unemployed. I understand that completely. And we have a ministry view called Job Assistance Ministry. It's called JAM, and we want to help you. The next JAM meeting is September 11th at 6.30 on the Tulsa campus. And they want to help you with that. They want to help you find a job, and they want to help you find the right job. But you know that feeling of discontentment and that feeling of stress. You know what that is? It's evidence of the fact that God designed you to work and that he wants you to work and he wants you to do something great too. He doesn't want you just to get a paycheck. He wants you to accomplish something in this world. Statement number two is this. God designed my work to be meaningful, beneficial, and fulfilling. And God wants us to have meaning in our work. He wants us to have meaning in our workplace. He wants us to be fulfilled, and he wants us to be blessed. And the best way to be fulfilled at work, not rocket science, is to do what you've been designed to do. The best way to find fulfillment at work is to do what you've been designed to do. I've been talking to you about this course that we do called Nucleus. And if you've not been through Nucleus, I want you to go through Nucleus. And, And if you've not found a community group, I want you to go this Wednesday night. Three days from now, uh, at 6.30 in, uh, in the chapel, we're going to do an event called uh, Group Link. And Group Link, we've done it now three or four, five times. And, and what Group Link is, is a two-hour event designed to help you connect with other people to form community groups. And every time we, group, we do Group Link, we birth seven, eight, nine, ten new community groups. It's incredible how this process works. And, and at, at GroupLink, what they, the groups that come out of GroupLink, what they will do is ANC. They will do Abide, Nucleus, and Charge this semester. And if you've not been through that material, I just want to encourage you, come this Wednesday night, go through GroupLink, walk through that process, and see if God won't show you how he empowered you and how he made you and how he shaped you and how he designed you. Another resource, if you've been through Nucleus, uh, that, that we want to provide to our people is called One Degree. And what One Degree is is a guided study that takes you step-by-step step to learn your design and what drives you. And, and there are drivers in your life that, that we call greens and they're, they're uh, drainers in your life that are reds. And, and the whole goal of that is to find a job where you uh, live in more greens than you do reds. And, and the truth of the matter is, is uh, you will at that moment be fulfilled in your work and in your occupation. And the question is, well, what do we do when our work isn't fulfilling? And, and is that work from God? And, and hear me today, listen, I, I'm talking about occupation. And I'm talking about lifelong career. I'm not talking to the 20-year-olds in the room who, who, who are in a stage or in a phase of your life that, that you got to work at. When I was in seminary, my whole way through seminary, I was the janitor at the seminary. And, and uh, I cleaned the bathrooms in, in, in the seminary, and I cleaned the offices for the professors in the seminary. The first time I ever ran that floor buffer, I let go of it before it was finished spinning. The thing went spinning around like a top and broke everything on the desk of the dean of the music department's uh, deal, uh, which I had to pay for. 
and I mean, that whole process, but I clean the toilets every day. And some of you know, that's just not, that's not a fit for me. I am a germ-phobic. I don't drink after other people. I don't let people drink after me. When my brother and I were little, he would reach over and lick my ice cream cone because he knew I'd give it to him. I would put on three pairs of gloves. I would spray every layer with that spray that kills every disease known to man, including AIDS. That's what the can said. I read it. And, 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 and then I would, you know, do my job, and then I would use a pair of needle nose pliers to pull these gloves off, and then I would spray my hands with the spray to make sure I had no germs on my... And by the way, let me just say this fact in the seminary. I can't speak to every bathroom. The women's bathroom far nastier than the men's, which is troubling is really troubling. Some of you women are shaking your head. You haven't been in the men's bathroom. You don't know what I'm talking about. I've been in both. Far nastier. I, the women's bathroom at the seminary looked like a truck stop. It bothered me that these women were called to ministry. Clean up after yourself. That's ministry. But I never through that whole job and, and doing that for the two or three years that I did that, did I ever feel like this is where my life is going to end up. But it was a job and it was a blessing and it put food on the table and it enabled me to do what I'm doing. So I'm talking about occupation today. I'm talking about this lifelong uh, career that God wants to place you in. And, and maybe you just need to look at a job as uh, meaningful and say, can I find something meaningful in it? And I would suggest that you adopt this attitude that maybe this job that I'm in is a phase of my life today, and I'm not going to be here the rest of my life, but I am here now. So how do I worship God in this now? And how do I, uh, right here through my work, bring God glory uh, today? Listen to what Colossians 3, 23 says. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than people. Because you are right? And so whatever you do as a believer, you do it for the Lord. And what if the remedy for your bad job, what if the remedy for your work issue is to refocus? And what if the answer is not position, it's the focus? And if your focus is not eternal, you're going to have trouble in any job as a believer. You will not enjoy your design unless you've attached it to the kingdom. And I hear from people sometimes say, if I were just a CEO, then I could make more of a difference in my workplace. I don't know. I meet with CEOs regularly, and they're saying the same thing. It's not position. And by the way, every job, hear me, every job has reds. Every job has things that drain you and that you don't enjoy. Every job. If you're living in some pie in the sky thinking you're going to find a job that's all greens, you, you are not living in reality. Everything has reds. Being a father has reds, right? I mean, being a husband has reds. Being a wife, being a brother, a sister, all it doesn't mean we quit those things, right? Why would we quit our job if, if that's what God has called us to? And so instead of looking for the out, I want to encourage you, first of all, to look for the in. And if your job is not meaningful or beneficial, find something in it that is. And use it today for the kingdom of God. Perhaps you could sit down with your boss and say, hey, these are my passions and these are my skills. If you find a way for these to be used in the organization, I would love to do that. And if they can come up with something, then you're in the place. And it's not your place of employment. Listen, it's your purpose there. 
And it's not your position, it is your potential. And it's not your paycheck, it's the payoff that matters. Ephesians 4, 28, listen. Use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. And work should be the full expression of our abilities, our passions, and our identity. And, and, and it's what we find physically, mentally, and spiritually satisfying. And by the way, God doesn't assign busy work. He assigns purposeful work. And the job that God gave Adam was not because he couldn't find anybody else to do it. It was not because Eve was unwilling. He gave Adam the job to tend and watch over the earth so that Adam would go and discover the, the planet that he was living on. It had meaning and it benefited Adam and it fulfilled Adam. And the best way to find meaning in your job is to do what you were designed to do. Statement number three. God designed me with talents, gifts, and interests that he wants me to use for his glory. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. He designed you. He created you. You are custom made. There is nobody like you in the whole world. And the gifts and the talents and the abilities and even your interests and even your passions, they were genetically stamped on you by God in the womb. Before you were born, the God of the universe, the creator, he stamped that himself onto your DNA. And you can't refuse it and you can't deny it. You are you. And the question that follows that is, shouldn't you do something that lets you be yourself? If you're going to toil for 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week, shouldn't you be gifted at it? And in using those gifts and in using those talents and in using those interests, you bring glory to God. And I want to submit to you this morning that if you don't get anything else out of this today, is that if you are in a mismatched job, if you are in a job that is not using your talents, not using your gifts, and not using your abilities or interests, I want to suggest to you that that could be a serious problem. And it is not just a psychological issue. It's far more than you think. It is a spiritual problem. And I'm not talking again about a transitional job. I'm talking about your occupation and your life's work. Because God gave you those gifts. And he gave you those talents. And he gave you those abilities and he gave you those interests. And one day he's going to ask you, what did you do with them? And you don't want to reply, well, I did the best thing I could do and it paid really good. And hey, look at my sea dues, God. Or God, look at my lake house. It paid well. I didn't enjoy it. And I wasn't in a sweet spot, and I wasn't using my gifts and talents. Or do you want to say, God, I worked hard to find out how you created me. And I pursued that with all of my heart. And I found fulfillment in a job that used my gifts and talents that you brought to me. And I found fulfillment in that. And I worked that job as if you were my boss, God. And I glorified you daily in my job. And see, most Christians that I know don't make the connection between Sunday and Monday. 
And the reason is, is they compartmentalize their lives. And you have a church box over here, and you have a work box. And you have a family box, and you have a weekend box. And they say, well, I got my spiritual life over here, and I got my secular life over here. And and, and in my spiritual life, you know, I go to church, and I go to community group, and I I, I read my Bible occasionally. And in my secular life, I go to work, and I pay my bills, and I climb the ladder. But God shows up on the scene, and he says, no, 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 you're wrong. The word secular is not in my book. It's nowhere in the Bible. There's no such thing as secular. There's no separation uh, in Scripture. It's all spiritual in God's eyes. And God says he's interested in your work, and he's interested in your work, I think, as much as he is in your prayers, probably more, because you spend more energy working than you do praying. You say, well, Alex, how is work spiritual? And how do I honor God? And how do I glorify God with my job? The fact is, watch, when a creature does what it was meant to do, it brings glory to God. When a creature that God made does what it was meant to do, it's bringing glory to God. And when a bird sings or a baby cries, it brings glory to God. Why? Because a bird is meant to sing and a baby is meant to cry. When a flower does flowery things, or a worm does, you know, wormy things, they are glorifying God. But why? Because they are doing what they do. And and so when you do that thing you do, like only you do, and you're being you, that's when God is glorified. And that's when God is happy. And he says, yes, that's it. That's what I love to see. That's what I made him for. That's what I made her for. And the glory of God is a human being fully alive doing what they were meant to do. So let me ask you the question. How should you choose your occupation? By what your parents told you? Or by what they did? Or how they did it? By what your peers are doing? By by what the bottom line on the check has to say? All of those are things to consider. But but I want to submit to you that maybe you should follow the design of the creator of the universe. Last week I showed you a diagram of three circles, right? Can we throw that up on the screen this morning? And and the three circles were passions, skills, and opportunities. And we said where those three circles intersect is your zone of maximum impact. That's where you're empowered. And as your passions, that's what gets you up in the morning. That's what gets you excited. That's what drives you. Those are the the greens in your life mixed with the skills. Those are the things you're good at, which may be one of the most important circles uh, on the diagram because it's within your skills that you need to find a fulfilling job, something that you're skilled to do. And then as that meets opportunity, The middle of that diagram is your zone of maximum impact. And and the passions are what drives you. It's what creates you. He created you with reds, and he created you with the greens. And God put that passion inside of you. And some of you this morning are thinking, my job is full of red. Some of you are thinking this morning, my job is one big fat red. And, And I don't enjoy it at all. And you're hitting this place, and maybe it's a crossroads where you need to think, what What should I do? That second circle is your skills. It may be the key to all of this, right? Because you've got to find a job that you're skilled to do. You don't do anybody any good when you don't perform well in, in your job. And the, and the next circle, but let me just recommend a couple of books real quick here. One is Finding a Job I Can Love. 
by uh, Arthur Miller. The second one is The Great Niche Hunt by David Fram and Paula Reinhardt. And basically what these books say, in any book you find, here's what they're going to say. What you do well, do that. That's what they're going to say. That's the bottom line of it. Because God does not expect you to glorify him with gifts and abilities and talents he did not give you. He expects you to glorify him with the gifts and talents and abilities that he does give you. You ever seen someone trying to do something that they shouldn't? It's a great illustration, isn't it? You just were not meant to do that. And a lot of life is like that. I mean, a lot of th- you try new things and you see new things. And a lot of life, you, the first time I went into the gym after many years and looking around, I was pretty intimidated, right? I mean, you see all these guys that are on steroids, clearly. <laughs> and, and, and that is the question I get more than any other question. Are you on steroids? And, and <laughs> I just got to tell you, it's all natural. Afraid of needles and drugs. But, but, but you, you go into the gym and you got this room now with a movie theater in it and all these cardio machines and, and, and you got all the bikes everywhere and all the treadmills and all these things you climb on and, and classrooms surrounding and, and everybody, you know, working and these big guys screaming at each other, horse legs, horse legs, you know, ah! And, and, and all, it can be just really intimidating when you go in. When I first went, I got in this machine. I didn't know which bar to hold on to. I didn't know whether to push or pull. or I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. And the janitor came up and said, you're in the scaffolding. <laughs> when you try to do something you can't do, you look ridiculous. And you're not glorifying God. And quite honestly, you're not helping yourself either. You're stuck doing something you shouldn't do. And so let me give you some important questions you could ask yourself in, in this process. Number one, what do I do better than anything else? What do I do better? And your answer to that will line up with your passions, right? And that, your answer will line up with your interests. What are my drivers? What gets me out of bed in the morning? And, and the answer to that question is key. What do I do better than anything else? Which leads you to the next question. Am I doing that right now? And if the answer is yes, congratulations. You're exactly where you should be. But with 84% of Americans discontent in their jobs, many of you are going to say, no, I'm not doing what I do better than anything else. And here's where we get into that third circle on the diagram of opportunities. Because some of you have those type of opportunities right now. In your current scenario, some of you have an extremely flexible work schedule. Some of you have extra time. You could create your own opportunity right where you're at without even changing, just with, with, on the side of what you're doing right now, that you have opportunities right where you are to create something else. No matter what your occupation is, you are employed by God. And all of us can work for God. And most of us have untapped opportunities right where we are. You just haven't found them, or maybe you haven't even been looking for them. But not all of you are in the right place for that to happen. And as your pastor, who really does care about you, I want to help you find, I'm committed to helping you find that fulfillment in life the way that God meant for it to be for you. And I want to seriously urge you that if you are in a job that does not match your gifts and does not match your abilities, that you should seriously consider taking some steps. And I'm not saying quit the job, okay? Don't go to your boss tomorrow and say, Pastor Alex told me to quit. That's not what I told you to do. That, that 
you can do some steps alongside keeping the current job that you have. But you should seriously consider taking steps to get out of that one and get into one where God has called you by the very nature of the way he designed you. That you keep your job while you're looking for another job and do it in the meantime as if you're working for the Lord. But start looking right now and start, go through nucleus, go through one degree, start networking, maybe to try, maybe do it on the side to see if there's a fit. And you want to be successful, you want to find purpose, and, and when you find that place, you will be empowered by God the way that he created you. And it's all about the will of God for your life, right? And it's that serious. And the truth of the matter is, I don't get asked about steroids ever, but what I do get asked about regularly is, Pastor, how do I find the will of God for my life? How do I know the will of God? How do I know this is God's will for me? How do I find that, and what is God's will? And I want to say to you, it's really easier than you think to find and know the will of God. He reveals it to us regularly. He wants you to know it more than you want to know it. He shows it to us in his word, first of all. And I want to draw another diagram for you. Would you throw that up on the screen, guys? There are two lines on your piece of paper. And the bumper on one side of the diagram, GCP, General Christian Principles. These are the do's and don'ts in Scripture. Okay? These are the principles in Scripture, the way that we would live our life, where God has given them to us to keep our lives from going off the edge. God will never lead you to do something that contradicts his moral will. He will never lead you to do something that contradicts his general principles found all throughout Scripture. I, I sometimes am flabbergasted by the statements that some people tell me what God's telling them to do. I've heard on a half a dozen occasions, God's telling me to leave my wife for her. No, he is not. Quit blaming God for that. Blame your flesh for that and blame the devil for that. Why? Because God hates divorce. That's what he says in his word. He hates it. Why? Because of what it does to his children. It is a painful experience to go. I, I've walked through divorce with some of you and talked to you through divorce on both sides of the equation. And never once have I seen somebody get to the end of that and go, well, that was pleasant. <laughs> Happy day, you know. I, I, oh, I, I mean, and singing it like the nun in the, in the movie. I mean, that, that is not the way that that plays out. The people who said forever and I do in front of God and everybody else end up destroying one another and, and taking one another down in the equation. And I, what I'm saying to you, God does not lead you a, contrary to his principles. It is a bumper in our life that we are to guide our lives by and we are not to cross. But the bumper on the other side, I want to submit to you is equally as important, is your design. And the way that God has designed you. I, I, and an illustration for those of you who have children, these are the bumpers at the bowling alley. Okay? When you take your kids bowling, they have created this deal now uh, where, where there are bumpers that rise up in the gutters so that the ball will bounce in between them. Some of them just slow as Christmas, right? And three minutes for the ball to get to the pins. Because they throw it so slow and it bounces over here and it bounces over here. And, it and what, what they're doing is ensuring that the kids hit some pins. And that they don't have a, a zero score. And, 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 which is what we do with education today and too with no child left behind and all this nonsense. And, and, and so they put the bumpers up. 
so that the kid can hit some pins. I took my kids and nieces and nephews this summer bowling, and, and my son Ben, he said to me, Dad, I need the bumpers to go like this. I said, what do you mean? He said, the bumpers are like this, which ensures I hit some, but sometimes I just hit one. If the bumpers would go like this, I would hit the middle one and knock them all down. I said, man, you're on to something, son. Maybe we can invent that, right? And, and that the bumpers would come down. And that's exactly how God does it for us, that his general, principle, general, general Christian principles and our design. And when you're over here violating the general principles of Scripture, you are not finding the will of God. But I want to say to you equally, when you are violating your design and you're living outside of your design, you are violating the will of God in your life. But when you bounce in between those two, what he does is he narrows the focus so that when he propels you into the world, you propel with some velocity and you come out of there like a bow, an arrow out of a bow into the heart of God and into the will of God for your life. And so you have to pay attention to your design. And the way that God has shaped you and the way that God has wired you together and you find the will of God somewhere between the way he designed you and his general Christian principles in Scripture. And once you embrace your design and you let it direct your life, you're making yourself fully open to God. And that's part of empowerment, embracing your design, doing what you were designed to do, doing what you were meant to do, getting in a job where God is glorified by what you do. Where you say, that's it. I'm doing what I was made to do. And it is really that easy. Because doing what you were meant to do glorifies God. And once you get into that space where you're fulfilled by embracing your design, God begins to use you and bring fulfillment to your life and transform you and empower you to do great, great, great things. And he has a plan for you, but he needs you in the right spot to do and to accomplish the very plan he has for you. And when you embrace your design, what you're doing is you're releasing your fears. And you're saying, God, you're in control. You are large and in charge, and God empowers you there. Remember, the illustration in Scripture is that he's the potter and we're the clay. And he is shaping us together in the way that he wants to shape us. And and how humbling is that to think that I'm one lump of clay telling another lump of clay about the potter. But that's our role. And it's not so much about the clay as it is about the potter. And so the question is, what tools do you have? What has he designed you to be? And what has he designed you to do? What's available right in front of you? What opportunities are around you today? God's will for your life. But why? Because God's commands are God's enablings. And part of some of the way that you got to find out what God's commands are, are by backdooring it, by saying, what has he enabled me to do? And then I'm going to go and do that. Today, in all of our environments, I want to share with you a video of one of our people. And the backdrop of this video is that eight years ago, I sat in Payway with with this man and his wife discussing his career and discussing his profession and discussing his possible call to ministry. And the question was, is there something you can do in the job you have today that will bring fulfillment and will bring this passion that God has placed within you out into uh, the light. I want you to watch this video and then in every environment we'll turn it over to the pastor there. My name is Kelly Swan and I've been at the church at Battle Creek from the very beginning and about the same time that the church started 
Um, God was also really stirring in my heart that I needed to step out of my comfort zone and really reach out and, and touch the world. And through basically the summer of 2003, God was just heavy on my heart about reaching out to the, the homeless and the hurting and the hungry and those who needed healing. And in October of 2003, I had an encounter with a homeless person in downtown Tulsa that changed my life. And it opened my eyes to the needs that are all around us every day. And about the same time, um, God was doing a similar work, stirring in the hearts of a couple of my friends here at church. And so we stacked hands and decided to jump out and start a ministry called Filling the Void that would serve basically homeless and needy persons. Eight years down the road now, we've served um, right about 40,000 lunches. Uh, the ministry that we're doing here, which is feeding people on Fridays in, in the downtown area, we're also doing in Denver, Colorado now. We have a great staff of volunteers out there. And just through God's equipping and his anointing and his favor, um, over the past eight years, we've now taken in almost a quarter of a million dollars in donations. And that resource that God has given us has come from probably maybe like 150 people. And so God has been tremendously faithful and we give him all the glory. We are really surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And it's not just in the world, it's also in our workplace. And that is something that has been very special to me is, is I work at an energy company downtown. And even just on my floor at work, we have donors, we have volunteers, we have people that know that on Friday, that, that's what I do. As I'm riding down in the elevator, they'll say, oh, it's the day you're feeding people, right? And so people at work are noticing, but even more than that, they're getting involved. One of the things that really surprised me is how much the world is watching ministry and they see it played out. And for us, you know, serving the homeless, you know, everything we do is in a very public, visible place. And a couple of years ago, a lady saw what we were doing and asked one of our volunteers, hey, what are you doing? And, and why are you doing it? And one of our volunteers named Brian explained the heartbeat of the ministry is really, this is the heartbeat of God and that God has a great big heart for the poor and the needy. And so he explained to her what our motivation is. And then she sent in a check a few days later but the greater gift she gave us was she, she sent in a letter and I'll just read a portion of it to you verbatim and she says you know I am not a religious person but I think that what you folks are doing is probably what it's all about my name is Kelly Swan and I have been empowered by God to serve the needy You know, one of, my, one of my favorite things about Filling the Void is is that those guys are getting unchurched and people that don't know the Lord in their workplaces downtown to come and volunteer to help feed the hungry and the homeless. And what they're doing is they're backdooring the gospel into those people's lives. Because when they share the gospel with a group of homeless people, the people that work with them hear it too. 
and that they're finding meaning and fulfillment and impacting their workplace. Why? Because those people who don't even know the Lord will come and help. And in so doing, they're hearing the gospel on a weekly basis and and, and a part of it. And it's brought meaning and fulfillment to, to all of these guys' professions. In downtown Tulsa. And the issue, again, just like I said last week, is not the girl and and the water in that country. It's not Kelly and and the homeless people in downtown Tulsa. The issue is what has God designed you to do? And would you humble yourself to the point where you say, you're the potter and I'm the clay. And I want you to form me and mold me and fashion me in the way that you see fit because you see all and you know all and I'm going to quit fighting against my design and and my designer and I want to work in harmony with you God in the way that you have created me to live and, and give me faith to trust what you say about me and what you say about how you want to use me in this world because he designed you specifically with a specific purpose and that's the beauty of this big 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 God we serve is he made each of us individually for an individual plan and it's a matter of us bouncing between scripture and our design to find out exactly what he wants us to do to impact eternity and to attach our job and our career and how we spend our life toiling and laboring to the kingdom and attach it to eternity in in people's lives. And so we're going to worship Him this morning. And we're going to respond in worship. And I want you just to respond appropriately to the Lord. We're going to open up the altar again for you to come and pray and and to do business with the Lord. We've got a couple of our people who are living the empowered life who are going out uh, this week. Brittany uh, Gray, is Brittany in here? I know she was in the last service. I don't know if she's in this service or not. Are you in here? Come, Brittany, if you would. And then Vic St. Clair. Vic is getting ready to go back to Germany and Albania and Macedonia to work with the churches that he's planted there. Brittany's getting ready to do an 11-month journey in 11 countries working specifically on the issue of human trafficking. She's going to have some orphan care opportunities involved with that. She's going for 11 months uh, to be empowered by the Lord in the way that He's created her. So would you just have a seat here? If you know Brittany, uh, while we worship, would you just come and pray for her? And let's just respond and worship this morning, trusting what the Lord says. Would you stand together all across the room? Michael, you lead us. To trust what you say That you're good And your love is great I'm broken inside I give you my life Sing, I need you. I need you to soften my heart and break me apart. I need you to open my eyes and see that you're shaping my life. Sing it, church, all I am.
my heart and breaking me apart. I need you to pierce through the dark, cleanse every part of me. Let's declare this all I am. service. Father, today, our corporate prayer and declaration is that you are strong, you are large and in charge, and we submit and we surrender to your perfect will for our lives. Part of that is guided by the way you've designed us and the way you've made us. So we ask for clarity, direction that would lead us to the greatest impact, bringing you the most glory. Father, we pray for Vic and Brittany as they get ready to go on their trips, living empowered lives. I pray that you would anoint them greatly and use them significantly to impact the Jesus. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, you're watching by the internet this morning, and you want to give your life to Jesus, would you just pray right where you're seated and say, Dear God, I know I've messed up. Today I ask you to forgive me for all my sin. 
Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord. You call the shots in my life. Come in as my Savior, my forgiver, and my best friend. And the best way that I know how, I give you all of my life. And I want to thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I want to thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we all say, Amen.